0: Last week we taught through one verse uh, for the full teaching time, Ephesians 4 verse 1. Uh, That was the entire time we were able to explore that in depth for quite a while. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Today we've got 16 verses to get through, which is a precursor to next week when it's about, I don't know, two chapters. So um, the band was gracious enough to... Uh, shorten up a set a little bit because I was like, I don't know how to get this one shorter Uh, because there's so much in here as Paul turns the corner and says, hey, remember all this good news? Here's how I want you to live. Uh, But what I don't want us to do, and sometimes we're all, I think, a little bit prone to this, Uh, is to take the Bible and hold it at arm's length, or uh, it goes in ethereal idea land, because it's a really big book. It was written a really long time ago, uh, and some of the things don't make as much sense. There's some word pictures that I don't quite get, and so it, it doesn't come with a lot of grit sometimes. It comes with ideas And then we walk away, maybe applying the ones we want to. Uh, But Paul's words here have so much grit. Uh, There is definitely mud on his feet as he writes this in his jail cell. He's thinking of friends who lived in a real place at a real time. So there's people who lived and walked and breathed and lived their lives regularly walking through the streets of Ephesus. They would take a stroll and have to go to their little house gathering with their 15 or 20 friends gathered on a rooftop or in somebody's front yard, walking there while the shadow of the Roman Empire just held down on them, right? Artemis's majestic temple, these columns that stood dozens of feet in the air, casting a shadow down. And you can imagine they would have asked so many times. We're gathering with like 20 people We worship this God who has created all things. We worship a crucified Savior. We have this king. He died. He rose again. We can't see him anymore. His spirit's filling us. We have been forgiven. We've been restored. We've been renewed. But man, that temple's big. But man, there's a lot of friends who still worship that way. Can this little movement of people who worship a crucified and risen king really have any effect in this massive city and the gods of the current age? Will we really be the ones who last? And it's uh, amazing because in Ephesus, as that temple has crumbled, many of us had to Google who Artemis was in order to actually even figure out who's this person they were worshiping. But yet Jesus still remains as a king who reigns and rules. And so the words of Jesus standing truer, the people of God who formed this new temple lasting longer than the massive blocks of stone that were constructed in Ephesus back then. So, so take courage. These words that Paul is spe- speaking was able to form the sort of people who outlast monumental mansions to fake gods because the true and living Savior builds something that lasts. And so how does he construct that? Um, That's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, The verses real quick that we're going to look at. This is going to move around a little bit so you can listen and watch. Love you guys. But I want you to think about real people in real space and real time listening to these words, having to make real decisions in their real everyday life. People struggling with questions of body image, even back then, trying to figure out was their job gonna be there tomorrow because they trusted Jesus. Figuring out families that were dysfunctional. Guess what? Our families aren't the first ones dysfunctional. Back then they had that too. Figuring out what marriages look like, what parenting relationships look like, what it looked like to be employed or employ others, what it looked like for multiple nationalities to come together in one place to worship one God, wrestling through all these questions. Paul writes these words. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, that's a psalm. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, Would you guys pray with me again? Jesus, we gather here as your family, uh, fully aware that you are present, uh, that we have the awesome privilege of being your body, but also deeply aware of how flawed we are, uh, deeply aware of how we still need your grace. And so I ask in this moment that you would meet with us. Make the words of your scripture echo in the deepest chambers of our heart. And would we with renewed faith and hope and love and joy be able to walk out of here in just a few minutes having met with you once again. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. We're just going to walk through this text a little bit at a time. Uh, Paul says, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Uh, last week, we literally spent the entire teaching on that passage. This idea of walking worthy is something that matters deeply to Paul. It comes up in each of his letters he wants them the churches the people that he's speaking to to know that they have been invited and called into something but with all those blessings also comes responsibility and so if you're you're new here and this is the first time you've showed up and you're like "Yo, well that's a whole lot of three chapters that this builds on this is the turn of the book where Paul has said everything that is true and now he's about to tell them what to do he said, here's all the good news in Jesus and not giving them a single command. And then uh, this next part of the book is f- full of imperatives. Uh, there's an, a DNA group that was going through and they're doing their four questions. Who is God? What has God done? Who are we and what do we do? And for the first three, <laughs> for the first three chapters, like we had to make stuff up. Like we, Not make stuff up, but we had to come up with our own implications because there was nothing that it said you had to do. And so we'd be like, well, Paul prayed, we should pray. Uh, Paul um, did this, and so we should do this. But then when you get to this turn in the book and you're asking those same questions, that column of what do we do is massive. So don't be overwhelmed by that. Paul wrote one letter, and so while there will be a lot of commands, uh, they're stacked on the foundation that is this good news of Jesus. A good news that there is a new king. Uh, the fancy word for that is Christology, right? That, that Christ is king he is supreme he had lived he died he rose again he called together a new people he is the one to be worshiped above all and the people in Ephesus says yep that's true we can't add him to another deity but he stands alone a new king there was also a new power and presence God's Holy Spirit was filling people and giving them the energy and the ability to do what Paul was telling them to do This wasn't muster it up on your own, but it was lean into this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who would make the things of God make sense, who would enable them to love, who would make them aware of the love that God had for them so that they could overflow that and love others. He never intended for them to do this work on their own, white-knuckling it, making it happen. There was a brand new presence, a brand new power. The pneuma, the breath, the wind of God blowing throughout this congregation. And there's a new purpose. Uh, This calling that they had received wasn't speaking about the unique calling that you might have to be a teacher or you might have to be a real estate agent or you might have to be a therapist or you might have to be an accountant or you might, whatever your job is. It wasn't that sort of vocation. It was the calling that they had received to be the people of God. And as first century hearers, they would have heard that and know that with that calling came a commissioning, that God had always called a particular people to be a blessing to others. And now both Jew and Gentile were called into that. The purpose was that they would be a blessing to the nations. Walk worthy of that calling. You have a new purpose, and there's a new family. Ephesians 2 and 3 unpacked how God was making one multi-ethnic family. His promise to be a blessing that through Abraham all the nations would be blessed was coming true now as the nations came together. And they had to wrestle with that. In Ephesus, they were banging heads about that because there were people that had been following God for a long time and people who were brand new all gathered together in the same home group and they were trying to figure out what does it look like for us to be faithful together. Well, what does it look like for us to follow this risen king together right now when we've got all our different cultures and backgrounds? And they had to wrestle through that because God's creating one new family. And then it was also new patterns of life or, or ethics. There was a new way that the people of God were supposed to live that would show off who God was. That's all wrapped up in that work. Walk worthy of the calling you've received because we're God's new humanity. But an experience of grace will always change the patterns of life. An experience of the grace of Jesus will always shape us to want to walk in the ways of Jesus. And this is not just about behavior modification. So you're like, see, knew it church just always wants to change you church always wants to make you do the things they want to do and that's not what this is this is actually uh paul inviting us to walk the ways of god so that we can experience flourishing and wholeness and life he says this is the best possible way to live and i want to clue you in on that because it's for your joy but also for the good of your neighbor this is how god is glorified but you can also live what it looks like to be fully human He wants this church to be a preview of the kingdom that is to come and the one that's already here, right? God's kingdom is already here, but it hasn't fully come. And so in the meantime, the church lives as a preview people of what is yet to come. So there's a new uh, Black Panther movie coming out, right? And so Caden's really excited about it. He watched most of the old one. We didn't watch the full thing, Uh, but Wakanda, the second one. The question was, though, um, because the main character like in real life died, not movie died, right? He, he died of cancer, so he can't be in the second movie. Uh, and they're not going to, Paul Walker, like in that um, Fast and Furious, where they just kind of made him up and used his voice and did that at the last scene of all the Fast and Furious 227, whatever it was. Um, and so it wasn't that. And so they had to, for Chadwick Boseman, they took him out of the movie because it makes sense. He's not there. And so Caden and I were asking the question, well, I wonder what it's going to be like then. Like, like what's the storyline? Usually when they have successive movies, they have the same character play the same hero throughout the movies, but they had to switch it up. And so in order to do that, uh, what we did was we went online, uh, we looked for the preview to see what it was going to be like and to see if he could watch that movie or not. Um, Couldn't tell from the preview whether or not he could watch it. But we did see how they crafted a storyline that would enable them to have a new character and have it all play out. Uh, And so November 11th, like that comes out. But what we did was we were able to see a preview before the movie actually comes out of real scenes from the real movie while still waiting for the actual movie to fully come. And so what God invites his church to be is that sort of preview of real scenes of what the real kingdom looks like really right now while still waiting for it to fully come. And that kingdom has a church that reflects that out to the world, that shows that off, that in some way acts as a trailer or a preview of what is to come. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is uh, what Jesus wants from a church. So maybe you're here and you're curious about, like, do I even want to be a part of this church? Like, what does it look like to be a part of a church? What do churches even supposed to look like? For all of us here, this is what Jesus says, I would love and I want my church to look like. This is what it is that I have laid out for this people of mine to be together. And so we're just gonna take this little by little. The first little section, Jesus wants a unified church. Jesus wants a unified church. He gives them the language. He says, uh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one, one faith, right? One hope, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, over all, through all and in all. Uh, He's encouraging them, one body, one spirit. He wants a unified church. He wants a church that is bound together. And the posture of that is beautiful. It's not be arrogant, be loud, be violent, be boisterous, uh, be look at me, have tons of swagger because then the world will really love you. It's be completely humble a word that's unique in the Bible because ancient ancient character lists didn't really see this as a high thing because this humility was to make yourself low and that wasn't really keen with other different character lists back then. The other words are used plenty of times but that be humble, it's completely a Bible word. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another love. We're meant to model what it looks like when Jesus loves us and how we love one another which is humble. It's not making much of ourselves. It's gentle, it's not forcing our way. I would love for you to turn back to those same groups that you were just with a second ago. And would you answer this question, it might just take a few minutes, is Jesus' church in America known for this first list? What's your opinion? Or wherever you're from, it can be Japan, you can go too, in Japan. Where is Jesus' church in your area? Is it known for being this kind of people? Gentle, humble, bearing with one another in love. And I'm gonna give you like two minutes to answer that. So turn towards each other. Uh, Is it known for that? And why would you say that? Ready? Turn towards each other, give that an answer, and I'll pull you back in just a minute. Go ahead and pull it back. Uh, you guys can all give the answer on the count of three. I'm going to count it out. Um, you give your own answer, and we'll see what happens. Uh, ready? I'm gonna cl- ready? Let's just, I'll see what I hear louder. Ready? I'm going to count it out. You say yes or no. That's the two answers. You say maybe, and you can hang out with the kids. Um, just kidding, just kidding. All right, ready? So is Jesus' church known for being this kind of church today? No. Did anybody say yes? I didn't even have to close my eyes. I didn't say anything. There we go. That's good. <laughs> Way to find secret option number four. I love it. How sad is that, though? Like, that's that's the thing for how many thousands of years that when Jesus is laying out a blueprint for his church that he's like "Ah, oh, man this is the people I want to be a preview when people experience my love and my grace when people experience my forgiveness when people experience the spirit my spirit at work in them it should form them to be the kind of people who are gentle and compassionate and loving and bearing with one another not looking to bury one another but for some reason we miss that We got Tuesday night coming up, right? That's an election night. And it's got so many pastors and church leaders and family members who both follow Jesus, nervous about for what might erupt because we can't find enough in common around Jesus and the gospel and our baptism and the spirit and the body and the work that we've been given to do. And so we're gonna highlight the other parts and look to fracture because we can't agree. And it doesn't mean that we all have to agree. He's not calling for uniformity. Everybody needs to have the same opinion. Everybody needs to wear the same clothes, drink the same Kool-Aid, only drink regular, nobody drink decaf, everybody go on the same diet, everybody walk, like that's not what he's saying. But he's saying that there are things that matter more than any of those other things. That he's saying more than your, your social and political preference The kingdom of God and the way of Jesus matters. He's saying more than even your other affiliations or your other commitments, that this unique and unifying spirit of Jesus is meant to bond together men and women and children in a faithful community, in a way that represents his love, his mercy, his grace, even in conflict to the rest of the world man, what a beautiful picture if that could be true. Some of my favorite stories to tell over the last election season was that we had people in Missio Mesa who voted for Biden, some who didn't vote, and some who voted for Trump, all a part of the same DNA group, all able to say openly and freely, this is who I voted for, and this is why. And instead of being kicked out of the booth at Denny's, there was a leaning in and asking, why? How does that matter more? Like, wrestle help me understand and a curiosity instead of a cynicism and a love instead of just pushing people away would the church here in mesa or wherever you're else you're from would we be known for people who can live in attention and still be loving that's the church that jesus longs for and i get it people are annoying right? Like you've got an annoying pastor, um, you've got an annoying neighbor, you've got annoying people in your MC. All of us have preferences and nobody else meets all those preferences. If it was up to us, many of us would only hang out with me, myself, and I, and everybody else would kind of just float around the edges. But that's not the life Jesus called us to. That's not the life that we live out our holiness in. That's not where we get to be as the family of God. So would we lean in in a unified sense? around these things that matter because there's a mission that matters even more than many of the trivial things that we give our lives to. Paul's reminding them, walk worthy and walk in unity. He keeps going. Not just a unified church, but also what I will call a faithfully serving church. He says this, he says... But each of us is given grace. Remember, what's about to come is given grace has been appointed by Christ. And this is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This is a uh, psalm that was written. Many of the people back then, that when they were reading it, would have thought he meant Moses uh, when he went up on high on the mountain and then he came back down. That's how they would have interpreted it back then. He's re pointing this to Jesus, to say that psalm actually pointed to Jesus. I think it's 68. I didn't write it down, but fact checkers, I'm sure, will let me know later this week. Um, And what does it mean he ascended, except that he also descended to the lower earthly region. So he was up high, he came down low to earth. This isn't making a qualitative statement that heavens is better and earth is worth. He's just saying there's a high and a low. He who descended is also the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Our jaws are supposed to drop. Uh, so he gave him, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is a mouthful. Here's the imagery. Uh, in ancient times, a king would conquer another kingdom. Uh, so you'd go out to war. Jake's our king. You're going to be the hero. Don't worry about it. Jake's the hero. Jake goes out. Jake fights a battle. We're all back here saying, go Jake, right? Maybe we send a few people, right? Maybe Nick got to go. Jacob got to go. Landon's carrying somebody's sword. Like it's, they're all over there, battle. The rest of us are back here living our lives, right? We don't have Instagram. Nobody's checking Twitter updates. Nobody's getting an email. There might be a pigeon or a runner uh, coming back to tell you things. Um, And we won, we lost, we won, right? So the king goes out, King Jake, everybody say, yeah, it's King Jake, right? Yep, King Jake goes out, he fights the battle, he wins the battle, uh, and he's coming back. And so they would actually send somebody back who would run ahead of him to announce, good news, uh, the king has won. That's where the word gospel comes from, euangelion. A good newser would run ahead and say, good news, the king has won. Which means for us back home, we no longer have to pack up all our stuff and run to a new kingdom because we're about to be conquered, but we get to celebrate and wait for the king to show up. And when the king would show up, he'd have captives, which wasn't cool for them. Uh, but then he would also give out gifts that he had won in the battle. Right? He would give gifts to the people as he returned so that they were able to enjoy the success of his victory as well. And so the imagery is that Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection defeats Satan, defeats sin, defeats the curse, defeats evil, right? He decidedly defeats that. And Paul's made that argument in the first three chapters of Ephesians. There is one king and he reigns victorious over the principalities, the powers and the darkness. Absolutely true. And so then he came back and he gives these gifts to his people. And it's amazing. These are grace that he gives to the church. And so he gives apostles. This is why I'm saying he doesn't just want a gifted church because he's already made a gifted church. He doesn't have to want us to be a gifted church. He doesn't have to long for Man, I really hope, hope you get your gifting thing down. He's given it to us. You've got it. What he wants is for you to use your gifting for the building up of the body of Christ. Which is different. And so he lists out these ones: apostles, apostles. I'm going to read some descriptor words of what these are. Uh, there is some debate on this, and if you want to talk later, we can. I'm going to describe it this way. I got the mic. Um, there's other pastors back there. You're allowed to do that? It's all about when you do your dialogue, my friend. Um, but no, the apostles. So within, uh, there's many different people who break this down look at this in different ways and uh, some people would say these gifts aren't actually for the church today our church doesn't hold that our church would hold that these are actually all gifts in operation for today and they're how we structure our leadership teams they're how we prayerfully prepare and send people into other parts of the world because we believe that these gifts are given for the church the church still exists uh, and so we still look and long for Jesus to equip us in the same way and so he gave apostles uh, these were people who think in terms of strategy or structure or organization. They always have new ways of doing things. they're thinking about multiplication, empowering others. It's an outward oriented. They're concerned with growing the mission, not maintaining it, vision casting. And they question the status quo. They're people who are go and who are sent as messengers. Paul would say he's one of these. This isn't talking about just the twelve original apostles but that gifting that was given, not the office, but the gifting. And then he says there's prophets. Uh, These are leadership gifts. Those who question the status quo, those concerned with justice like the prophets and old, They're the mouthpiece for God. They critique institutionalism. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Calls people back to purity of worship. Stirs up gifts in others. Calls people to the supernatural to be aware of what God is up to. To correct where maybe mission drift has happened or gospel drift has happened. They herald back as leaders calling others, come back, come back. The evangelists. Uh, These people are gospel focused, they're recruiters, they equip others for evangelism, they equip them with apologetics or how do you defend your faith. They are excited and inviting others to believe this incredible good news that Jesus lived, died, rose again, that he is making all things new and he wants to invite us into that. And there's a gift given where some people just naturally get that. Others of you are like, I, I don't even know how to put those words together. But then you listen to someone else and you're like, man, the way they speak about Jesus makes me want to come and get saved again. There's a gift that's for the body that's meant to equip them to remind good news. Evangelist. They're shepherds. Needed gifts in the body. They enable discipleship. Call people to community. They care for the flock. Shepherd. Pastor. That's the same word. I often laugh because whenever I do a gifts assessment or hang out with people that know me well, uh, that's not my highest ranking gifting, but that's my official title in the church. Um, But that's all right. I don't want you to call me Apostle Kevin, so we're gonna go with pastor. It's all right. That's why I'm glad you guys just call me Kevin, um, to be honest. But this isn't the office of pastor or a role in the American church. This is a gifting for the sake of the body. People that you're around and they just care for your soul really well. They're reflecting Jesus in their posture and the way they speak and reminding you whose you are in Christ and nourishing you. And it's a weird image because we don't have a lot of shepherds, but people that care well for others as they follow Jesus, nurturing their faith, leading and feeding and protecting them as a shepherd would for a flock. There's people in leadership and when they give that gift, the church is built up. And then lastly, teachers, which doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Again, this doesn't mean that your vocation is a teacher, but there's a gift given to you for the body where you love to immerse yourself in a text. You develop the biblical worldview. You love to teach the ways of Jesus in ways that are simple and transferable. And when they communicate, it's like, oh, now I get it. Like they're able to communicate maybe in depth, complicated things in a way that suddenly makes sense. And that's something that brings great joy is teaching and walking with each other in successive ways forward so that other disciples can understand and be able to teach others. These five giftings aren't all the giftings in the Bible. There's other texts that talk about other giftings, but these five are ones that are often looked at as leadership giftings. Uh, They're ways and postures and perspectives and enablement to look at at the gospel, and then look at the people of God or the the church together and say, here's how it needs to be built up. Here's how we come together around these things. Because the whole purpose of these giftings aren't to celebrate the person who has them, but what does the text say? It's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And that's why I said Jesus wants a faithfully serving church, those who know their gifts and are deployed to use them. And so I have another question for you. Uh, This idea of spiritual gifts, I know if you've come from a church background, some of you don't, and so you don't have this baggage. Some of you do, and you're carrying suitcases with you. But the idea of spiritual gifts have been abused. They've been elevated. Some have been reduced. uh, Some have been told they're not around. uh, I believe that from Paul's word, like they're still here. And so I'm not gonna ask you to identify your gifting tonight and share that with a friend. Um, That would be a whole lot to do in the next 30 seconds. But I would love for you to think about, what do I need to do with this topic? It's the church Jesus wants is for us to know our giftings and to live in them and to serve in them and be faithful, giving of ourselves to the body of Christ so that the entire church is built up, so that we experience the fullness of Jesus, which only comes as the entire body's doing this. So where are you? Man, I would need to identify my giftings. Like I've never actually done that or I took some lame test that wasn't even right, because we can all rig those things. Uh, Some of us are like, I've taken 17 tests and they all came back different, what do I do? I took the same test 17 times and I was different each time, like I don't get these things. I will tell you the community is far better than anything you're filling out online. But for followers of Jesus, to figure out what your gifting is, to develop that gifting and then see that deployed for the mission is a critical work of the church. That's something if you were to ask me, Kevin, what do you want to do over the next years for Missio Mesa? That answer will be there. I want us to identify our giftings, to develop those well, and then deploy those out through our Missio communities, loving and serving our neighbors well and building up the body who is here. So turn back to those groups one more time. And you can pick one of those three things. Uh, I feel like I'm in a place where I need to identify my gifting. I feel like I'm in a place where I, I need to develop it. And you can say all three if you want to. That's just the punt answer. Take it. I need to do all three. Um, Identify, develop, or deploy. I feel like I know what it is. I feel like it's been developed. I just need to really start doing it. That can be an answer. I know what it is, but I don't quite know how it fits in the church. That's develop. I don't even know what it is, but it's pretty cool that God gives it to us. So how do I figure that out? That's an okay answer as well. You might not have gotten a full chance for everybody to share. I'm sorry. I apologize deeply. Introverts are celebrating, it's okay. Uh, When I think about this, just so you guys know, when I think about this, I can see myself in any of those three. Um, I I think at this point I've identified where God's gifted me for the sake of the body, but there is an ongoing development that I always want to be learning from others and learning from the spirit and learning from community. How do I best live in this gifting? Uh, And then continually praying to be deployed in places where Jesus wants me to use my gifting. Uh, This is a a process, this isn't just events. So if you're like, I need to identify that, uh, please, let's do that work. This is a high priority for us. Let's get coffee, let's attend one of the labs we're gonna do around identifying and developing giftings. Lean into this. This is something that Jesus wants for his church, and so as such, should be a high priority for us. A second thing I wanna say about this, and this might uh, strike some of you and get on your nerves, and that's okay. Uh, You can have a gifting, and be really immature in how you practice it. Just because God's given you a gift definitely does not mean that you perfectly practice it all the time. Development is needed. Apostles who are immature in their gifting will run around starting a bunch of things and not parenting any of them and leaving spiritual orphans scattered throughout the world. Uh, Prophets who are immature in their gifting are jerks. They just say, this is what's wrong and I just gotta tell you what's true. And it's like, no, Jesus did not do it like that. Shepherds who are immature turn insular and never look outwards and care for others. Evangelists who are immature just shout good news without giving any follow-up, right? Teachers who are immature teach the same thing over and over and, over and over and over and over and over again, not realizing they need to grow in what they know to be able to share with others. And there's a plethora of ways that these get practiced in immature ways. That's not the total list. But hear that, it's a, it's a necessity, it's a high priority for us to continue to grow because the very next thing Jesus wants from his church is a maturing church, a unified church, faithfully serving church, and a maturing church. The text goes on to say, then we will no longer be, Im-. I love this, by the way, I love this uh, metaphor of Paul's because he mixes it all up, and it's kind of how I would talk. He's about to talk about babies, like ships in the sea, and loaded dice games all in the same sentence. And so if you were ever told don't mix your metaphors, you could be like the spirit did it, what do you want me to do? Um, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there. So there's stability to maturity by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people. The idea of this deceitful scheming is somebody playing with loaded dice and the person playing in the game has no idea that the deck is stacked or the dice are loaded or this person is just tricking them every single time on purpose. It's a rigged game. You can't win. He said you need to be maturing so that that doesn't happen, not tossed around, not falling for the loaded dice game. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, Fam, Jesus wants a maturing church. And in my last few minutes, I wanna give us some of the marks that Paul gives us of what a maturing church looks like. Again, this is not an entirety, but it is plenty to convict us. So we'll just go with these few things. Uh, The first thing that it looks like is a maturing church is beginning to look a lot more like Jesus. We're becoming more like Jesus when the spirit of Jesus fills us and the mission of Jesus compels us and the body of Jesus surrounds us and the words of Jesus nourish us we should begin to look more like Jesus in our conviction and our gentleness in the way we pray and the way we play in the way that we love and serve others, and in the way we lead others in making disciples. We should look more like Jesus in our emotional intelligence and our understanding of the kingdom. Paul gives a compelling image that it's supposed to be to the fullness of Christ, which is everything, always, all the time. That's a pretty big picture. But maturing churches will make disciples who start to look more like Jesus. Our church does not succeed when more and more people fill these seats or when we get a bigger space or we get a bigger budget. Our church succeeds as we make disciples who look like Jesus. Neil Cole, who's a guy that I used to read a lot when I was uh, back in 2008, has this quote, which is amazing. Might be a little strong, but we're gonna read it anyway. Uh, Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching programs, or property are. He's totally a pastor, by the way. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not radically obedient, your church is not good. I might say your church is not faithful, but he says it's not good. The idea is that the body of Christ is meant to look like Christ. And if it's not doing that, we're not actually doing what we're called to do. I have no idea what we are doing. But the body of Christ should produce disciples who look like Christ. Uh, Next, they're formationally mature. Formationally mature that means that we're able to see what the true story of the world is and be able to figure out what counterfeits are like a banker who handles fake real money all the time so they can tell when a fake bill comes we should be handling the gospel all the time so that when a lie comes we can tell what it is so when somebody comes in and says hey uh, you can worship Jesus and also the American dream you're like "Uh uh-uh that's fake. When somebody's like, you can worship Jesus and so you should be a Democrat, or you worship Jesus so you should be a Republican, you can be like, uh-uh, that's fake. When somebody says, no, 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 uh, people of different ethnicities have no business being in the same place, one race is superior to others, and clearly that's made evidence throughout history, you can be like, uh-uh, that's, that's fake, that's not the good news of Jesus, that's not the family of God, he's told us something different. We can tell by touch, that is not the good news of Jesus. Because there are plenty of false stories out there. We need to be so aware of the true story and what the Bible actually says that we look and we're able to tell when the fate comes. So we're not tossed around like a ship on the sea or like a child being easily fooled By I got your thumb right or I got your nose you pull the nose off you're like I got your nose the kid's like oh no where's my nose right you shouldn't be able to do that to grown-ups being like hey I took your salvation you're like oh no I took my salvation right it shouldn't fall that same way Paul says be formationally mature rooted in the good news of the gospel formed by God We have the ability, just so you know, uh, in our lifetime to be the most theologically uh, formed people of any generation ever before. Uh, We have the ability to look at the totality of the scripture, which is more than most of the people of God for the most of history, right? We have the ability to read brilliant minds as they've thought and prayed and wrestled with the text. We have the ability to look and read and study and rest, and our work weeks are only like 40 hours or 60 hours for some of us, not 120 hours. Like, it's been... We have the ability and time and resources and community to be some of the most theologically formed people ever. But we also have TikTok and Instagram and Netflix, so we've got choices to make. Paul's inviting us, be formed in the good news of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. Those other things aren't necessarily evil, but don't neglect this part because it matters for the body of Christ. And then lastly, but definitely not leastly, there's a call to being relationally mature the opposite of being tossed around or falling for the childish games or being deceived because we didn't know any better is to speak the truth in love to one another. We will, In that way, we grow in becoming every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. This maturing body should come out in our relationships. And Paul gives the very concrete answer of speaking the truth in love. I love that he does that because that's such a hard thing for us to do. Some of us err on the side of, we just want to tell you what's true, but truth without love is just judgment, that's soulless. And then some of us just on the side, I don't want to mess with anybody's feelings. I know we're all messed up. I don't want to ever speak truth. I just want to love them. But trying to love somebody without any truth, you're just going to end up manipulating them. Jesus is the one who could perfectly hold that in balance. That's gonna take a lot of work for us to do. But again, as we're nourished by the words of Christ, filled with the spirit of Christ around the body of Christ, we'll be able to grow into the same way. And then the very last thing about this that I love is that it casts such a compelling vision, doesn't it? Like, can you imagine a church that was unified in mission and love and gentle with each other and compassionate and long-suffering and leaned in and was a warm, hospitable place for strangers and the people who attend that church? Like, if that was the witness of Christ in a community, that's compelling, And a church that was joyfully serving, taking and using their gifts for the sake of others, saying like, hey, I know I've been hurt in the past, but I'm willing to come again and give my gift again to this community and building one another up. These people teaching, these people starting, these people sustaining, these people encouraging everyone, these people coming along with a gift that was given to them by the grace of God for the sake of this body and for the glory of God in the nations. Like he was doing that each and every place around the world. Wouldn't that be compelling? A witness that is joyful, it's beautiful. It's God's design. But it only happens as we actually live out of it. Do you catch that last verse? For in him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. I love that he just goes down to ligaments, right? It's not even like every supporting hand or every supporting like leg, which are big parts, but, but the ligaments. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, Missio, we need each of us to be doing the work that we've been given with the gift we've been given so that this body can do what God's called us to do. And so the last questions for you to walk with and even as we go towards the table to still wrestle with, do you need your gifts developed just to be discovered or deployed? A question to reflect on, is your presence contributing to the stability and maturity of the church? Our gifts are meant to contribute to those two things in the church. Are your gifts doing that? And if you want help discovering what those are, Lean in and let's talk. There are multiple people in this body who can come alongside and help develop and discover those things. Our Missio communities are primary context for that, but we also have supplemental ones. And we would love to walk with you in those spaces to figure out what it looks like for us to follow Jesus together with the giftings that we've been given. And so each and every week we come to the table Uh, because it's the perfect landing place for any teaching that we have. Uh, At this table, we see again the beauty of all the things that we just talked about, that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Savior represented in these elements, and we come again rejoicing at that. Uh, We see that we have one Savior who served us selflessly, and gave himself up for us. And so we come back to this meal to remember the whole story, but especially his life giving death and resurrection and remembering that he pulls us together as one unified family around this. And how are we gonna grow up? How in the world do we grow up and lean into maturity, relationally, emotionally, theologically, We do it as we feast and have our hearts nourished by Jesus himself. And so we come to this table to remember that. I wanna read this over us and then I'll invite us up to the table as a family as we sing our last song. But this is the reminder of why we come to the table each and every time that we do. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus offers his own crucified body and shed blood to his people, assuring us, of a share in his death and resurrection. By the Holy Spirit, he feeds us with his resurrection life and binds us to each other as we share one loaf and one cup. We receive this meal gladly, believing as we eat that Jesus is our life-giving food and drink and that he will come again to call us to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We take this in remembrance of Jesus and in joyful participation of his kingdom life now.